gotta get to work. That's right. You know? Uh, come on, come on. You know my name. Come on. My name is Willie. Willie Damon. I keep the ladies cleaning. And all my fans. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of Big League Flicks. I'm Jamie McKinnon, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Christian Webster and Jordan Reed. What's up, boys? How are we doing tonight? Hey, everybody. Uh, great to be here. Great movie. Excited to talk about this one with the guys tonight. Happy Friday to everybody. Hope all is well, Web. Yeah, been a tough week. This time last week, the Raptors were on the precipice of doing great things, and now we're sitting here not talking about the Raptors. So a little disappointing. Uh, one for three for Mr. Webster over the weekend. That weekend, 49ers went down too. Thank God for Notre Dame keeping me alive. The Raiders won. Yeah. Well. And so did the Bills. Yeah, we're good. You're not. <laughs> we're good, though. We're Ouch. good. We're, we're good. feeling good uh, about it. We're all right. All right. Well, we got a good movie to get into this week. What do you think, Jamer? Yep. So, again, we're di- diving into a football movie because, you know, we're in the full swing of football season. So, we actually taken it back to 1999 again. So, Varsity Blues was another football, big football movie in 1999. The second one was uh, Any Given Sunday, which is uh, directed by Oliver Stone. So, without further ado. I've sweated blood for these men. Given up my wife, my children for these men. I've given up everything I have for these men. Game is all that matters to me. Because it's pure. It's safe. Life isn't. Any Given Sunday, a legend will fall. I need you to lead this team. Tony, I'll be there for you. I am not re-signing a $7 million a year, 39-year-old quarterback, no matter how great he was. Cap helped build this franchise, which you benefited from. Don't you give up on me. You're like a son to me, Cap. I'll fight for you till the day I die. Any given Sunday, a hero will rise. Make me a believer! And on any given Sunday. Tradition will be broken. He's changing the plays. Just does what he likes. You run the plays, I call. I've been warming the bench the whole time I've been in the pros. I don't plan on going back. I am QB. You're king in your own mind. He may sell a lot of t-shirts, this kid. But he's tearing his team apart. Well, then you hold it together. Knock it off. Why? You got old. Any given Sunday, life is a contact sport. It's time for our brew review. What are we drinking, Webb? Well, boys, nothing says Florida like Tiki Bars, Happy Hour, and Margaritaville. And since Jimmy Buffett knows way more about alcohol than Dan Marino know- and the Dolphins know about winning Super Bowls, we're going fins up this week <laughs> and getting on the Miami Sharks bandwagon with the official beer of Margaritaville, Land Shark Lager. At 4.6%, this Golden Island-style lager brewed with subtle hop notes is easy to drink and amazingly refreshing. When you drink a Land Shark Lager, you understand it's all about good times, good friends, good fruit, and great beer. So fins up. Don't forget, must be legal drinking age, and please remember to enjoy responsibly. And check them out on all their social media platforms. Cheers, boys. Cheers, Cheers Web. All right. Wow. You're flying. Just building off momentum from last week. 
That's too big. That's the best beer read I've heard. That yeah, that, that, that that's right up there. Do it again. No joke. That's I a- am his agent, Landshark. If you guys are interested in hiring him, uh, his services, parrot heads, get at me. <laughs> oh, fins up on that one. So, what do we think of this one? Uh, I have a lot of sentimental value of a Landshark logger. I spend a fair amount of time in Florida. Well, not right now, obviously, but uh, been down there a lot. Drank a lot of Landshark. Uh, my wife and I. Fun time in Turks and Caicos drinking this beer. It's always a brings me back to sunshine, totally palm trees. A lot of great things, Jamer. Yeah, you nailed it. I love the can design too. It's, mm-hmm. After that, read web. I think I want to get one of those. Maybe flags get some up here. free stuff. Oh yeah. Hey, I mean, hey get, get some, some free, swag. Maybe get some free shirt. No, get it's good. I like this one. It's a it's a good it's a good great easy drinking beer. It's perfect beer. for the pod. What do you got, Web? It's a great beer. I enjoy it. Uh, I'll be quite honest. You know how there's certain beers that you tend to enjoy in a, a one form over another, like whether it's on draft or in a bottle or something. This is one of those beers for me. I think I would enjoy more out of a bottle. Yeah, uh, it's one of those like MGD, like those golden amber kind or those mm-hmm. golden kind of beers for me. I tend to like them out of a clear bottle in a, a bucket of ice in a bucket Ooh, of ice. Yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. the Corona style bucket of ice. So I think this one for me, I. I enjoy it. It's good. I can I can imagine having a few of these, watching some football or playing some golf or anything of that kind of nature. So you know, I get into it. I'd say four point six. It's pretty light, so you could have more than a couple of them. I'll go as high as uh, I'll go six eight on this one. Six eight. I'm a little over you on this one. Uh, I'm gonna go seven two. I put it in around that very steady, solid, not gonna go wrong ranges. Yep. So I'm gonna go seven two, Jamer. I'm going seven point four. Wow. Take that. <laughs> oh, Bam. I got buried. You guys buried me under the bus. <laughs> you really did. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not falling for that again. Did you see the no jammer sign on the door at Riverhead last yeah, week? Yeah, they didn't let me in. <laughs> they locked him out. They did. They locked me out last week at Riverhead. His face, you name Sat it, everything. <laughs> he tried to order a flight, and they said, nay, nay, on that one. They said, you can hit the deck, but no fly zone. <laughs> That's a no fly zone for Jamer. <laughs> All right. So... <laughs> This week, uh, we're doing, as we mentioned, Any Given Sunday, which is directed by Oliver Stone, written by John Logan, who also wrote Gladiator, by the way. So kind of some parallels there in this movie I found. Uh, Distributed in 1999 by Warner Brothers. Got a 6.9 rating on Internet Movie Database. 73% on Rotten Tomatoes. Had a budget of $55 million and grossed $100.2 million at the box office. Uh, Music by Richard Horowitz and Paul Kelly. Starring Al Pacino, Jamie Foxx, and Cameron Diaz. A little quick movie synopsis. The Miami Sharks, a once great American football team, are a struggling franchise coached by 30-year veteran Tony D'Amato. D'Amato is an old-school coach who has fallen out of favor with a young team owner, Christina Pagniacci, who is trying to gain the respect in an all-male dominated industry. With two games to go before the playoffs, the Sharks' first and second string quarterbacks go down to injury, and young, untested Willie Beeman is thrust into the spotlight. Is Beeman ready to be a leader amongst men? Can Coach D'Amato hold the crumbling pieces together for one last run at the Pantheon Cup? Let's jump into the character review, boys. Start off with our boy, Tony D'Amato, played by Al Pacino. Tony D'Amato, what can I say about this guy? This is a mix of old school. This is your, I have some hybrids of all sorts. I saw some Parcells in there. I think I saw some Mike Shanahan in there. I saw some Don Shula, a little Chuck Knoll, um, some Tom Landry with the uh, attire on the sidelines. A lot of different pieces in there. I have Grizzled, unbelievable sad story. He's married to the game, and this is all he really has, and you see that throughout there. 
uh, I think Al Pacino does a really nice job of just playing that desperate coach holding on. I also kind of like part of me. I like the Miami connection of bringing using him since Scarface Miami. You had the Scarface connection of that back in the day. I kind of, I don't know what, I guess Oliver Stone, Scarface. I kind of thought of that a little bit when I saw that going on. I, I loved his character. I thought he was kind of critical to this. And back in 1999, these coaches that I mentioned were kind of, you know, they weren't done, but that era was kind of, kind of seemed to be finishing up. The, so, the authoritarian out the door kind of. Yeah. I, I definitely can agree with you a little bit more parcels, I think. Like Shanahan to me seems more offensive minded. So I don't know if I could go with Shanahan. He calls the same. plays though. Yeah, he does. But he, he Shanahan was a little bit more um, experimental, I think, in some of his offensive stuff. But especially the, with especially with the Dolphins when he had, uh, or sorry, excuse me, with the Broncos later on when he had Elway and Terrell Davis. Like, yes, there was a heavy run game, but he also was a little bit more experimental. Yeah. So I, I kind of think uh, I, I agree with the Parcells piece. Just he was just too traditional as play calling. I think that's where you know the the Nick Crozier guy comes in, right? Because yeah. mm-hmm. he he's such a he needs that help so much. Um, my thing with him is this guy is just too comfortable with living in the past like he he doesn't he i don't know how he has longevity other than the fact that you know he won i guess it was what four years like i don't i don't blame pagnacci for wanting to get rid of him no um the guy's a train wreck of a human being um i think wearing the suit on the sidelines is totally unrealistic i love it i was uh, gonna mention that too I well. love 100%, it. especially no. in a league that's not the nfl <laughs> And, I love uh, and, and not even not even just a suit. It was like a lounge lizard. He's suit. Miami. He's oh, like he's Miami. super leatherly. Leathery. <laughs> you could have talked about this at leatherly. <laughs> you could have taken him and put him in Leisure Shoot Larry three or whatever. You know, like Miami Cruise. He looks like he just walked <laughs> off the set, uh, or he was like cryogenically frozen when he finished Scarface and then walked <laughs> on this. Movie. Like he just looks. Although he'd look better, but he's. Yeah, I don't know. He Steven just even Bauer. Yeah. Steven Bauer. <laughs> he was left in the tanning bed for a little while. I don't know. Like he just looks gross. Oh, I love uh, him. And the fact that. He He's not even wearing a tie. Like, if you're going to wear a suit, fine. Wear a suit. But wear a tie, too. Yeah. Clean yourself up. Wear, like, a fedora. and a The guy that's the yeah. coach for, uh, is it Houston or one of the other teams that are playing on the road to the, the last game there? Like, he's actually dressed the Johnny up. Johnny Unitas. Dressed up like Tom Landry, right? He's got the hat. He's got the shirt and the tie. Like, he's he looks... He looks the part. Oh, this I guy, love it. So, it wasn't Dick Buckus dropping the F? No. <laughs> no. I The one thing I will say this, he's a player's coach, right? Yeah. Uh, almost to a fault, though. Like, I think his players are starting to run his show. Like, when that scene where he's in there with, with LL Cool J and he's just like taking it, and then I'm like, this guy's a selfish douche. Like, why are you putting up with mm-hmm. this? Yeah. Like, enough. If you're the coach and you really care about what, like, I just, I don't know. Oh, was, I get a good self, South too, Florida vibe. Too much from this for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very much. But I mean, it's Pacino. So he's great. But I just, I didn't like him for this role. I didn't. Yeah. The one thing I will say about him as a coach. I did like kind of how he managed the egos, picks and chooses when he's going to, you know, put his foot on the gas and, and when he's going to kind of be a father figure to the guys. And I think that that showed a, a good side of like the people side of coaching. But that, so gr- I, that growth. Yeah. Like, cause yeah. I was going to say, when you're talking about the speech, I like, I watched, I went back and I rewatched the first game like halftime speech or whatever he gives it's right. awful oh yeah like yeah. So he's so he gets better bad. as the movie goes on yeah it's like, 100% but yeah. it's also him like trying to figure things out yeah yes. he's he, a train wreck well, for he a really just, long time he just lost two quarterbacks in like two two plays yes. yeah think about yeah, in the league true. right now if you yeah. lost QB1 QB2 you'd be down into uh 
I don't even know who your third string, the punter, I guess, might be coming in. I'm not sure. Like, you're bringing a running you, you over. You might have a wide receiver. A wide receiver or somebody. Yeah, like a Randall L or somebody yeah, like that. Yeah, somebody would have to come Cornell in and Stewart. run the show. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's jump now into Willie Beeman, played by Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx, the actor, actually did a pretty good job at, at converting himself into a QB. Like, he looked athletically like a QB. Uh, I thought his arm, there was a couple times where it looked like it was a little sideways when he was so throwing, he, but for the most part, he was pretty good. He did play... Uh, High school? high school football. And okay. He had a pretty good high school I was football say, career. He, he was, as a quarterback, he That's was uh, he was great in that respect. Like he seemed to do great. I, I didn't love the the thing that stood out to me the most was the hang up with the racial piece uh, with him. Like I just I thought it was again, and this is going to be kind of speak more to when I get to the end of the movie here. But like just some of the themes, the racial piece, it just seemed like he was painting every caucasian person with the same brush because he had been mistreated in in you know college or something like that and then or like i just i didn't like that angle that they took with his storyline mm-hmm. i thought it was just over the top for no reason yeah um and so I, I didn't really love it and i thought you know he's a perfect example of pride and hubris right like he's just rise to the top i, I didn't think it was believable that his character would get a national spotlight sponsorship deal with metrics after two games <laughs> no, like that's too, totally and especially when you're again quick. not playing in the nfl <laughs> like i just i didn't like that either so there was a little yeah. bit of stuff i didn't like about his character i had a few things i thought uh again i thought fox did a nice job he's very believable at this mm-hmm. time too and he's young he's athletic he's fit he, he he all of those things i had really beaming as your you know your idea now maybe that dual threat yep Mm-hmm. Um, the University of Houston, I thought of Andre Ware right away. Ooh, good one. Back in the day, yeah, they said, here nice. comes Beeman from University of Houston. I was like, right in my head, because Andre Ware dominated at University yep. of Houston. Oh, yeah. In college. Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah. Unbelievable. I thought right away. And then uh, Montreal Alouette. Who did he play for in the CFL? Argos? Might have been an Argo. Might have been. Ah, somebody out there might know. I well, think I he like might have been Cal an Argo. I feel like was his time, right? And that guy was quarterback in Montreal. I think Andre, uh, yeah. Well, I think this was before Calvillo, because... Where would have been like mm. early nineties? We might have some CFL because I had his. Out I had there. his Detroit. What do you play for the Detroit Lions? Briefly, yeah, Detroit Lions. Because yeah. I had his uh, rookie card. It was a pro set rookie card. Andre Ware, like oh, wow. freshly minted Heisman Trophy winner, and I was pumped. I thought, oh, these this could be worse. I had well, a bunch of, of them. Too. I had like three Andre Ware rookie cards. Nope. I made a couple pro of set notes. made football cards. They, you know what's funny? You know how pro set hockey cards are worth like. Nothing. Yeah. You can't even. I still like, have an Eric Lindros rookie card somewhere. I think. Yeah. So the pro set ones in hockey suck. The pro set ones in football are actually worth money. Wow. They actually because I have a, a few Emmett Smith pro set rookies. Mm. I didn't know they made football cards. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. I had a note web about you know you talked about the metrics. I talked about how easily manipulated this guy is. Yeah. Um Questionable teammate at best. Changing plays in the huddle, Jamer. There's things about how the music video. I don't know, Jane. There might be some things you want to add in about him. Just the whole spiel on him. Yep. I didn't like Willie Beeman. I, he's not a good teammate. He's not a leader. You know, I wouldn't build a team around him. It'd be very difficult. He, I, I know he kind of grows at the end. He has this epiphany during the speech, and all of a sudden he's a team player. Like, that's not going to happen. Like, the, it's ingrained in him. Do you he's, also see the part, though, with he, Willie of, like, this is his shot, yeah. and he wants to get paid? Yeah. Yes. I get it. Yeah. He's trying I mean, to jump on the chance to get paid. In his defense, there, yeah. that yeah. character, like this is. I it. mean, he's not a trusting individual to begin with, right? And like, like let let me just make something perfectly clear. All the stuff he says about like the NCAA and the racism, oh, yeah, the systemic yeah. racism that exists in pro football and college, 
I agree with everything oh, he said. Yeah. I just mm-hmm. didn't think it was believable for this guy to make those kind of statements after playing in two games. Like he would still be kind of trying to toe the line to make sure he stays in there, right? Um, and so he, I, I just I didn't like that angle that they took with his character. I thought it was kind of it didn't it just didn't make sense no. to me. I don't know okay. why yeah. it was added in there I other that, than to to like somehow show the like the conflict between him and and Pacino. Like I just I didn't uh, get it. I think it's classic Oliver Stone trying to dial everything up. Yeah, yeah. I guess. You know what I mean? Like, I think he's taking... Because this movie is jammed full of all the negative stereotypes of NFL, basically, right? 100%. Which is why the NFL want, didn't want to 100%. touch this with a 10-foot pole. So I think that's part of that, right? I, I did... There was one quote that he said regarding the racism piece was, uh, maybe it's not racism, maybe it's placism. Yep. And I thought that was pretty relevant, you know yep. what I mean? Because there's a lot of people that are like, I'm not racist, but... You know, and there's always that but. And we talk, I think we talked about with JJ Reddick's podcast, and he mentioned the shut up and dribble thing with like LeBron. Yeah. That's like placism. Well, yeah. it's racism, but it's, it's also placism where people are just like, stay you, in your place. You stay in your place. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. Right. So I thought that was pretty relevant. Yeah. Pretty fair enough. Thing. Let's True. move on to Christina Pagniacci, played by Cameron Diaz. Seems very similar to, uh, in real life, Jeannie Buss to me. Yeah. Right, oh, yeah. Lakers. Great like, that's the vibe I got, right? Um, maybe make make inroads where there weren't inroads before. And so, like, she should be commended for that. But she's not a nice person. Like, I think my favorite comment is, like, when Charlton Heston's walking out, like, I'm pretty sure she needed a baby or eat her young or something like that. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, like, I just speaks to how cutthroat she is. More worried about the bottom line than the players. Um, you know, when she's talking to Jimmy Woods there and kind of trying to get him to, you know, maybe hide some medical information there um but the thing i actually do appreciate her she's blunt she tells it how it is um and if you don't like it she doesn't care um so you know that strikes me as someone who's probably had a little bit of hair gel in her day (laughs) (laughs) i loved her i thought she was an awesome character in this movie needed she was necessary i loved how blunt she was she's trying to turn a team around I like how she's in that conflict with the head coach. To me, that's very pro football. Mm-hmm. The meddling owner wanting to change something. You know, you see those hands-on owners are stepping in, and that happens. You see it all over the place. Yes, she was beautiful, but there was a lot more to her than just that. Uh, I like the idea of the snap shows. I like how her mom's kind of out to lunch, but she's still no way. She's like dialed into this thing she's trying to find she's a quarterback so driven. Yeah. she's driven i had that like you know the how callous she was uh ruthless all those kind of things that make a good owner and that those prep conferences at the end how fake she is the whole time yeah. and how fake everything is and that to me like is legit you're going through the motions and everyone's trying to be happy but you're going to get what you want in the boardroom essentially to make the team on the field she's definitely better. trying to create a different culture right like she's trying to make her own uh imprint on that team right that that yep. isn't her dad's that's or right isn't tony's so yeah I, I i agree i like that aspect of it yeah absolutely i think cameron diaz did a great job on it she's just so focused and driven and she can't really see anything else at cameron this point. diaz is also very underrated at playing that like unpleasant i don't want to use the b word but that that kind of character right yeah. like she mm-hmm. she doesn't typically in but she can play it really well like she, she can, can yeah. she, she can flip a switch um and so she she'd be perfect for that role yeah absolutely she's she got some depth she has depth she has a lot of depth i got, one, depth I got one question though did they have a gm like who's the gm of this team i yeah, think i thought it was t- tony is tony the i GM? guess he's the i think he's the coach oh GM. i guess because he well no I, I thought he was with the new team 
Yeah, that was going to be his role with the new team. I feel like she, oh, she's doing everything. We, well, okay. Like when, when those two quarterbacks went down, I thought this was kind of a corny thing, but she's on the phone right away going, Yeah. Give me every list of every, you know what I mean? Like she, she, yeah, that sounded right. like when it first, the movies first started, and I didn't know if she was the owner or not. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't know at that point that she was the owner. Um, and she was barking all these orders on the phone. I'm like, Okay, she's the GM. And then later on, you find out she's the owner. So I'm like, okay. I, I, so that to me, it looked like there was a gap there. If I'm a hands-on owner like that, though, and I'm that vested, I'd be on that too. You bet yeah. your Robert Kraft would be on the phone, or well, Jerry Jones definitely would be on this. They would be Jerry in Jones on it be, for yeah. sure. I don't know about Kraft. He's not really a football guy. guy I think he'd be right all yeah, over something maybe. though. He's he he wants W. Yeah, I mean, he wants his hands. In <laughs> Al Davis would have been. Al Davis would be all the way. Just That's win, true. baby. Yeah. Let's jump into Julian Washington, played by LL Cool J. I don't really have much to say on this guy, to be quite honest with you. Like, he just seems like a, a very flashy, selfish dude. To me, he's your uh, prototypical diva receiver, but he's a, a tailback in this movie. So, I don't know. I didn't have much on him, JR. I'm going to let you go. I had some stuff. I thought he was the perfect pro running back of the era. This is still running yes. back time. It's 1999. Yes. I've talked Fair about enough. this a lot. This yeah. is running back world still where the running back's the man. They were, yeah. And I put he wants his stats. He has swagger. No touches equals mad. He wants his 25 carries a game. He wants to run for 120 a game and two touchdowns. He yeah. That's what he wants to keep him happy. And this is the era to me of that. I had a little bit when he wasn't getting used. In my head, I started to think when the maybe the O was changing a little bit, Beam was changing, you started the Todd Gurley effect. Where all of a sudden you're running back who was your stud, all of a sudden Gurley, his touches go away. And I don't, who knows, there was injuries, we know there's other things. But to me, he played a perfect professional running back of that time. He reminded me of uh, Jamal Anderson. Remember Jamal Anderson? Yeah, Yeah. Dirty Bird. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, Jack Cap Rooney, played by Dennis Quaid. I loved him. Thought he was great too. I, I had him as your old school I actually had Boomer Esiason in mind the whole time I was Good watching one. this. The yeah. lefty, the old guy, kind of grizzled, moving around a little slow. But the, te- the the guys liked him. Yeah. I think Washington liked him because he gave him the ball a lot. Yeah. You know, he's like, yeah, go ahead. I'll give you the ball. Um, obviously, he had his faults. Uh, there was things. He was D'Amato. I had him as D'Amato's warhorse. Yes. And eventually, you know, this his time is up and he's having trouble letting all that go. Yeah, and Quaid, just the voice of Quaid, where it's just like that's a leader's voice for some reason. I don't know why. Just the whole yeah. gruffness to him. Thought he did a good job in that. I thought he, you have to have him offsetting Willie. You kind of yeah, need the yeah, young, yes. the old, the new. Yeah. You know, the pocket passer, the dual threat guy, moving on. Kind of you talked about the new coach web, but I thought he played a great pro quarterback. Yep. And, and I mean, Randy Quaid is perfectly cast for this movie. Or, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> Cousin Eddie. Shit uh, full. <laughs> Dennis Quaid, excuse me. Perfectly, <laughs> that one down. perfectly How cast. How are those guys brothers? Side note. How are those know. guys brothers? But, like, he's perfectly cast because he's got that all-American look, right? Yeah. Like, he's just like your well, he, boy. He was store. everybody's all-American. That's what I mean. Like, there's a movie <laughs> he was in yeah. called Everybody. Yes, he yeah. was. Yeah. But he's like, and I mean, he's he's... He's in the the rookie, like he's just like your, I'm um, like a grizzled like American guy, right? He's like, like Sam Houston and Alamo. Or that's something what I mean. Too, like he's, he's, he's like, just <laughs> he's like your perfect. Like I guarantee, like they wrote that part and they're like, yeah, we're just gonna not even have anybody audition. Like that's his. Unless he says sure. no, then we'll look for somebody. But that's his role. So yep. yeah, uh, all the things you said, Jr. One hundred percent. I also think he's got a very good understanding of himself. 
Like, he kind of knows where he's at. Like, when he's fighting to get back, he knows why he's fighting to get back. But he's also looking at, like, when he has a conversation with his wife, who, mm-hmm. again, she's a piece of work. I don't have much respect for her. But anyways. Uh, so you're like, saying there's a chance. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Samsonite? <laughs> uh, I just, yeah, like, he, he just knows. Like, he's like, yeah, I'm past my prime. It's time to stick a fork in me. I'm done. So, I don't know. Yeah, he's great. Yep. It's kind of weird because this movie, to me, I know it came out in 1999, but it, it feels like it came out later because there's a lot of people and things in this movie where I'm like, oh, yeah, but the, it's something from like the t- mid-2000s, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, he reminds me of like Favre at the end of his career. Maybe like L.A. at the end of his career and maybe a little Steve Young. So, I was going to say, more Steve Young to me. Than the Favre, lefty. Favre yeah. seems more selfish to me, like didn't want to go. I was thinking like his, his physical physicality. Yeah, like stuff. guys that were fighting the injuries. Yeah. Um, Your body just said enough. I feel like yeah. Brett Favre is just the ultimate egomaniac, and that's why. True, and he was a lot more like. Yeah, this guy's not that to me. No, no, not his like, attitude or anything like no. that, for sure. Uh, let's talk about Luther Shark LeVay, played by LT, Lawrence Taylor. I got, I, again, this is another one. There's so many characters in this movie. Like, I, I, I honestly, <laughs> trying to make notes on everybody, it was next to impossible. My only comment I had this was, how much of this do you think is actually based on LT's kind of life, right? Like, there's a lot mm-hmm. of this. Uh, I'm sure he took a couple, you know, bell ringers, as they used to call them in the day, and, like, would be all squirrely. And, obviously, we know LT's uh, drug-infused history in his past. So, uh you know, there's got to be some truth to this, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know, JR. What did you got for him? Shark. Shark's a, a quite the interesting character. I thought he brought uh, the real life relevance of what you actually get out of a big time pro linebacker. He's still LT. He's young enough still to be able to kind of have the look. Yeah. That hey doc when he's like give me some Vikes he knows what he wants that's all been said in the Giants locker room guaranteed yeah um, the ability to lead the thoughts the whole process he even wore his LT mask that's kind of yeah. mask LT wore there's a lot of things in there where I'm like you're basically showing us a behind the scenes look at Lawrence Taylor you know yeah. the hard knocks before hard knocks started yeah and you're getting to see like LT's playing the role and he's really to me kind of legitimized a superstar all world football player. A few years out, obviously, who's had his problems, of course. But I think you're really kind of seeing some of that craziness for the first time, Jamer. Good actor, too, I thought. I did thought good he did a great job. Yeah. yeah. Great. Let's move on to Nick Crozier, played by Aaron Eckhart. Again, like, believable storyline for him. He, he can play the wholesome American guy pretty well. You know, again, the character himself, I guess, like, I, I, I'll try to find something negative to say about him. I honestly had nothing bad to say about the guy. He came over with the intention that he's going to take over as the HC, right? So he, he he's kind of just trying to buy his time. And then he's like, I'm getting frustrated because this guy, you brought me in to be the OC and you're not running anything I've, I've mm-hmm. given you the mm-hmm. the uh, the place for. So what, why am I here? He also strikes me as the guy that's a little ahead of his time too, right? He seems to be, I feel like this is the first instance where we get a little sense of like um, analytics yeah. in pro football. Right, like he, he kind of he's giving me that vibe. Yeah, he brings in the young point of view. Uh, I don't have a ton to say about him either. He's just no. a younger guy trying to be fresh. Uh, the efforts there, he seems like pretty genuine. I don't have a ton to say either. Kind of same thing. He, I liked his character. You could tell he's in waiting and getting really frustrated. Yeah, I, I felt there was a kind of a Belichick under Parcells vibe. Ooh. Yeah, you know, because okay. like he was just kind of waiting in the wings, like silent in the background, but and doesn't have a bad relationship with Tony. 
um, there's no animosity there. It's they both just kind of know what it is, but and that's kind of how it was with the two bills from that thirty for thirty. Yep. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to. I'm going to group these two together. Doctor Harvey Mandrake, played by James Wood, and Doctor Ollie Powers, played by Matthew Modine. My note for for Jimmy Woods, Harvey Mandrake. Harvey is a slippery prick with poor ethics, but he legitimately believes he's doing right by the players. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. Uh, just like everything about him was slimy. I, 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 I'm not going to lie. I don't like James. Wood. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, but I love the fact like on his way out, like he might have the best like exiting lines as he's yeah, walking yeah. out. Like he just doesn't give a shit. Like it's just I, perfect. James Woods. Like I loved everything about that yeah. part. Um, but yeah, he's a slippery fuck. <laughs> oh yeah. I have him as greasy, yeah, greasy yeah. guy. Pro on the take, does whatever has to do. Yep. I bet you big farmers put a few dollars in his hey. pocket. Oh yeah, these, um, these guys, guys existed. Oh, you know, they're so. not so much around the game anymore, but they existed one thousand percent back in the day. And I mean, for Modine, you had those. You needed that in there. You know what I will mention about Modine though? Did you not notice at the end when uh, Shark he's given Shark his treatments and stuff? And Shark wants that extra cortisone shot. Yeah. Did you notice the how he's there was like a look and then he kind of goes back? It's almost as if you can almost foresee his future and that he might end up drifting into the Harvey Mandrake doctor. Well, there's well, the yeah. scene where he's like flirting with the girl in the same way. Like he's a hundred percent going down there. He's that trying right. to be all righteous in the beginning, and I'm sure he was there, and he's talked about the Hippocratic oath and things like that. I think I think they're basically showing that slide in that character. Though, That's the like, theme of greed, right? Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's all about power and greed. It's money. Right? I, yeah. I feel like I feel like Oliver Stone's note to him would have been like, "All right, I want you to play Joker in Full Metal Jacket, and then imagine that Joker somehow gets corrupted." Yeah, right? yeah. Like That's a good play that it. right up until then, and then all of a sudden, Joker's given like a million dollars. Go. Nice. Yeah, they did a nice job on that scene yeah. where LT asked for the extra, and you can see his face just went. That look on his face. You're I like, did oh, like that development. Like that little piece there. So yeah, that was good. Any other notable characters you want to mention? I had Jim Brown, Montezuma. Yeah. Uh, first of all, Jim Brown looks fucking jacked in this movie. He Sorry. looks great. Pardon the cursing. But oh. looks, I'm like, I don't know how old he was when he did this movie, but he looks jacked up. Um, He's ready to go. And I, love, I loved him looking out for LT in this. Like just how he, he kind of like... He almost approaches like a fatherly thing. Um, and I loved how he's talking about just like getting back to coaching high school football right yeah. like one of the things that i both love and hate about this movie we'll talk about are some of the themes um but it just showed me that jim brown's got great range as an actor yeah absolutely mm-hmm. yeah um i had jim brown as well web and i'll go also with jack rose that greasy writer. yeah <laughs> definitely he's jim from, rome was uh, that guy not jim rome he had yeah. to have been jim rome that yeah. guy's a fantastic he's from I, platoon as well with oliver yeah. stone he's, a he's good, also uh, dr john Cox. c mcginley yeah, yeah, he's, good. John c. he's um, good i like him as that i had him as just that guy you know like he reminds me of like one of those leaf reporters who's just yeah. oh, what's his name? i can't remember the guy's name brooksy Brooksy from the Rangers yes. or like Steve Simmons, Simmons. Steve, Steve Simmons, Simmons, that scumbag, who's always looking for things out there where I'm yeah. like, I know who you are. Yeah. So, yeah, I had him as that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's jump into our quotes. It's going to play a quick little thing here. Life's this game of inches. So is football. Because in either game, life or football, the margin for error is so small, I mean... One half a step too late or too early, and you don't quite make it. One half second too slow, too fast, you don't quite catch it. The inches we need are everywhere around us. 
They're in every break of the game, every minute, every second. On this team, we fight for that itch. On this team, we tear ourselves and everyone else around us to pieces for that itch. We claw with our fingernails for that itch. Because we know when we add up all those inches, that's gonna make the fucking difference between winning and losing. Between living and dying. I'll tell you this, in any fight, it's the guy who's willing to die who's gonna win that itch. And I know if I'm gonna have any life anymore, it's because I'm still willing to fight and die for that itch. Because that's what living is. The six inches in front of your face. Now I can't make you do it. You gotta look at the guy next to you. Look into his eyes. Now I think you're gonna see a guy who will go that inch with you. You're gonna see a guy who will sacrifice himself for this team because he knows when it comes down to it, you're gonna do the same for him. That's a team, gentlemen. And either we heal now as a team or we will die as individuals. I know people have different feelings about that famous speech. What are your thoughts, boys? Do you think Pacino did it in one take? I did I did read about it. Okay. So he was really nervous about this. Like uh, Al Pacino was really excited to do this role because he really thought it was kind of a neat thing. He wanted he he took it really seriously. And apparently he was really nervous about this speech. But apparently the guy said he came in and that basically that was like his first they did it four times, they did four takes, and the guy said every take was like identical because that's how talented he is. Wow. Uh, but I, I think they basically took the first take. Cool. He said the guys had like goosebumps on the, the actors that were in that so they were they were totally ramped up like like i'm gonna my take on that whole you know monologue is that do any of us not know somebody that didn't put that on some kind of like fired up list or cd or mixtape of some sort like it was on everything so i mean it's it's iconic it is what i remember about this movie more than anything else um but yeah i it's it's great. It's the most quotable line. I don't, there's other ones, but that one that's that's mine for sure. I have it on an iPad iPod Nano somewhere in my house. I'm yeah, pretty sure. Um, yeah, definitely. That thing carried over for time. It's withstood time. You can yeah. probably hear it on a Friday night in a high school locker room anywhere. Oh yeah, you're hearing it somewhere. Any other quotes that stand out for you? I have a couple. When Willie goes into the washroom to chase after the girl and Barbara Bush. Yeah, I laughed so hard. I had that one that's too. I funny. laughed when Barbara I saw Bush, that. Oh my god. <laughs> Um, the pull the pipes is another classic one. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. you know those are a couple that kind of stood out to me. There's so many. James my, Woods is a walking soundbite. My yeah. favorite one in the whole movie actually comes from uh, Luther Sharklevay. Oh, sorry, uh, Montezuma Monroe, played by Jim Brown. Mm-hmm. So Luther says to Jim Brown, uh, "Coach, calm down. You're gonna have a stroke." <laughs> and Montezuma goes. I don't get strokes, motherfucker. I kill them. <laughs> that one killed me. I was on the floor. That's amazing. The one, the one that stands there for me too is uh, in the final game there, and uh, they call the timeout, and 
Al Pacino comes over or Bingman comes over. He's like, tell me the truth. Did you like my jambalaya? And he's like, it's the fucking worst jambalaya. Yeah, 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 <laughs> like, yeah, it's it just so funny. Like, I don't know. It was just perfect timing. And it's great, like, mood, right? Like, everybody's so amped up in that situation. You're just making it light and easy and, like, kind of relaxed. It was, I liked it. Those were the parts of Tony that I thought he was good at, when, as a, like, his character as a coach. He knew how to cut the tension. And, like, when, yeah. when a player is inside his own head, he knows how to, like, reset him kind of so he to does yeah. totally anything else that stands out uh those are just the main quotes i had other yeah. than the other ones you guys mentioned yeah i didn't really have any no i didn't have much either else beyond that let's jump into some little known facts here so uh the movie is loosely based on the you're okay it's just a bruise the tell-all book by robert huzenga sounds right huzenga yeah. okay a former team uh, physician with the los angeles raiders Raiders, eh? Oh, yeah. I have that book. The Los Angeles Raiders. Los Angeles Raiders. So, yeah, you're saying Tom Tom Reed, your dad loves this book, eh? Yeah, my dad, Big Tom, has read this book a few times. Yeah. Nice. And it's, yeah, I have a copy of it, and he has a copy of it. I feel like a lot of big Raider fans own this book. This is a good one. Dennis Quaid's character, Cap Rooney's house, is actually, really, Miami Dolphin legendary quarterback Dan Marino's house. Isotoners? pretty sweet so more, that was a sweet house that he had it was pretty sick you got any more of that gum <laughs> so mind we, your own business <laughs> marino and steve young actually helped coach dennis quaid to get I mean, ready for the role makes sense mm-hmm. clearly yep mm-hmm. he's a winner just like younger a warner brothers favorite clint eastwood was sought after for al pacino's role early on however he also wanted to direct the picture so the studio declined he would have been it? a good coach that's interesting yeah. He would have been I feel like he would have been a more believable coach to me than Al Pacino. Because he's big, too. I and feel you like know that what? Tall, imposing, old school. Al Pacino way. looks like he never played football. I don't think I. I don't think there's a Clint East. I'm a huge Clint Eastwood fan. I'm trying to think of the movies that he's directed. I don't think there's one that I don't like. Yeah, there's. I they're love. They're all good. I, I think. Did he I do think Trouble he, with the Curve too? Ooh, that one wasn't a good movie. I was going to say. I feel like he did that one. That might be the one you might have as your asterisk. Yeah, I would have to maybe. Yeah, so and that's a sports movie, so I don't know. But uh, I, I don't know. I think yeah. he's pretty good, though. He, he comes out with pretty good. Yeah. He comes out with good movies. Does Clint Eastwood? Yeah. Oh, he's oh, a beauty sure. as, a, yeah. as an actor. Gran Torino is one of my favorite movies. I love yeah, that movie. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So Robert De Niro also turned down the role of Tony D'Amato. That's a good call. Yeah. Yeah. I don't no. think this is a De Niro type movie. No. No. Didn't make sense. He, he, he doesn't have the same <clears throat> rage. Like, and I mean... I. No pun intended, Raging Bull, but like <laughs> he, he doesn't have the same kind of, uh, to me, it, I don't know. He's New ang- York City. He does, and he doesn't have the anger that, that Pacino has in the same way. It's L- different. A little bit? A little yeah. bit? Yeah, like it's no. just different. It's just not there. No. Uh, from an edit- editing standpoint, there are over 3,000 cuts in the film. I would wow. have never guessed I, that. I think they could have used maybe, movie. I think they could have <laughs> used maybe 1,000 more cuts. Mark Robert Ellis, our boy was the football coordinator slash consultant on the movie and also appeared as the quarterback coach for Miami. You know, he was oh. snapping on them. Where's your help? I think what's he yelled at uh, Cherubini. Cherubini. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. Beer's going down just as bad as good as Cherubini did. <laughs> so when Willie Beeman enters Tony D'Amato's house, the movie that is on the television is Ben-Hur, starring Charlton Heston, who also appears in, in the movie as the commissioner. Uh, Oliver Stone says on the commentary that the meta connection was deliberate and he meant to show that yesterday's rebels become the establishment. Charlton Heston agreed to appear in the film and granted permission for his image from Ben-Hur to be used. Hmm. 
That sounds I, like such a pretentious Oliver Stone thing to say. I'm sorry. What a douchebag. I was, like, yeah. I, I was mixed on this one because, like, to me, it was a little too corny. That whole scene where it's got the thing going on in the background. I mean, it's a pretty obvious connection, you know, gladiators to football players. It was that's been overdone in a lot of things. Yes, it's cliche. I don't it's know. It's a big cliche, cliche for me. Uh, when the NFL refused to assist the film in any way, the fictional league was used instead and was imagined as mo- a more successful version of what the World Football League and the United States Football League, uh, which both challenged the NFL in the 70s and 80s, but obviously they didn't last long. So I think that's the idea was like kind of this alternate universe where we're looking at, hey, the USFL worked out and this is this other league. And so like going- what the XFL is going to do under Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> right. So there is a scene where they kind of mention another Miami team about and they're talking about the new stadium. So that I think that's when I realized, okay, so the NFL actually kind of is existing. I didn't know if this was supposed to be the NFL in our minds because they couldn't get the rights, but they actually played it off as if they were two pro- successful professional football leagues. So when you mentioned it, Webb, like how, you know, these guys have these insane contracts and endorsement deals i'm like Ugh, i don't know if there's enough marketing you know to have that going no. on no so according to jamie fox ll cool j took the scripted rivalry between their characters too seriously and punched fox in the face while filming the scene in which they fight in the shower then they had the altercation in which fox received a cut on his head before the two were separated it was also reported that fox filed assault charges against ll cool j though ll cool j denies this and in 2006, Fox announced that he and LL Cool J have become friends. So, I- oh. Yeah, I remember this when it came out at the time and it being a big deal. And it was talked about in a lot of like, <clears throat> I remember Double XL, the magazine. I was reading a lot of hip hop about a lot of hip hop back then. They talked a lot about this for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just throwing this out there. Is this a sell? Do you think it's a, like a work or were they actually like a job or were they trying to promote that like the conflict between them in the movie? No, uh, I think no legit- everything I read, they legitimately hated each other. Yeah, they don't like each other whatsoever. No, they, okay. they're fine now, but, but at the time then. they hated okay. each other. Yeah. Andrew Berniarski oh, uh, had an interview about it. Did he? Latimer. Latimer. I was say, that's Latimer. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he, he said that they had to break them up a couple times. There oh, was wow. one in the shower. They actually fought during that scene and you can see blood on Jamie Foxx's. That's real blood in the movie. And also, there was another one on the field that had to break up as well. LL Cool J came up and slammed uh, Jamie Foxx's head into like a camera tower or something. <laughs> Brittany Arsky had a couple funny interviews I was reading. Uh, Oliver Stone is a big San Fran fan. How about that, Webb? He's, there you go. You guys have that in common, Makes at two. least. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow, JR. So apparently, that's why he referenced in the movie that San Fran beat Miami in the unseen playoff game that came after that Dallas game. I so. mean, obvi. Obvi. <laughs> How about some of the teams? That, did you see? Did you happen to see some of the teams that popped up when they did the league standings? Like, there were some really cool The Rhinos? Yeah, like, there were some great team, team rhinos. <laughs> yeah. Like the rhinos. Like the the rhinos. Yeah. There was, like, the Seattle Prospectors. Yeah. <laughs> the Prospectors. <laughs> it sounds like weird... defunct CFL teams. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was hilarious. They are like, random town. Yeah, well, the Las Vegas Posse coming up next. <laughs> <laughs> the Shreveport Pirates. Yeah. Is that where they call <laughs> like, Who are these teams? So the film used several Arena Football League players as extras and doubles. Makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Gives the, re- the realism, which is good. So, uh, Sean Puffy Combs was initially cast as Willie Beeman, but according to him, scheduling conflicts prevented him from accepting the role. 
Other sources cite that when the football experts began working with Combs on quarterback drills, they quickly realized that he had zero throwing experience. Andrew Brynjarski said that Combs looked like he threw with the wrong arm and couldn't throw more than three feet. <laughs> <laughs> and then his son played for UCLA. I was going to say, and then his kid went on to play at UCLA. How did that happen? Pretty impressive. His dad didn't teach him anything. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, get that, get that. Cuba, our boy Cuba Gooden Jr. was Cuba. considered for the role of Willie Beeman. Will Smith, Chris Tucker also turned down the role. Cuba. <laughs> Cube. <laughs> Three-time Super Bowl-winning NFL guard Mark Schlereth reported that Al Pacino was seen walking around the Denver Broncos training camp in 1998. He observed head coach Mike Shanahan. So he, hey, he, JRI, he, stand corrected. He was shadowing Shanahan, yep. Shanahan, the, the running back churner-upper user. Yep. <laughs> just <laughs> worked oh, running backs. Did he ever. There were serious thoughts about creating a new film involving uh, Coach D'Amato, uh, played by Al Pacino, coaching the Albuquerque Aztecs, as mentioned at the ending of the movie. Thank God that didn't no, come I'm to like, fruition. No, I, I don't have another three hours of my life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. it was too long to begin with, and I'm done. Yeah. I think they were going to combine with Ken Burns to make that movie. <laughs> 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 the guy who played Tyler Cherubini was actually a former NFLer, Patrick O'Hara. O'Hara played QB at USC and went on to play for Tampa, San Diego, and Washington in the NFL over parts of four seasons. He's currently the quarterbacks coach for the Tennessee Titans. Nice. That's pretty kind of neat. That's that really neat. cool. I was going to say, he had a bit of a, a loser career there up until the Tennessee Titans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the guy who played the O-lineman McKenna is Jerry Sharp, who was a guard on the late 80s, early 90s Syracuse Orangeman teams. There we go. Tight like that. There we go. Cuse. Carrier dome, baby. There it is. That's that'd be kind of neat to be sitting there on on set and talking with uh, Jim Brown, right? They yeah. Said, oh yeah, that would have been neat. They'd have that totally they'd have that connection. They said McKenna used to bring down the house at the Carrier Dome with his pancake blocks. There you go. <laughs> you go. Rick Johnson played the Dallas QB. He was a former college football star with Southern Illinois and was drafted in the second round by the Rams. He went on to become a CFL All Star in 1986 with the Calgary Stampeders. Cool. Interesting. Hmm. NFL running back Darnell Autry auditioned for the film, but it was told that he didn't look enough like a football player. <laughs> <laughs> you said something about that. Yeah. That guy was a stud in college. He was college. good, yeah. Oh, he was good. wow. He, did yeah. All, like, he played a little bit in the NFL. He was like, legit when he played for Northwestern yeah, back in the didn't day. Didn't look like a football player. He was a good-looking guy, was, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, Anson. he has a degree probably from Northwestern. He's fine. Yeah, he'll be all right. Yeah, he played in the NFL. So th- I thought this was really neat and nice touch how they did this. So the opposing coaches were all NFL former. Like I think they're all Hall of Famers. Johnny Unitas, Dit Butkus, Warren Moon, Y.A. Tittle, Bob St. Clair, and Pat Toomey. Toomey, right? Toomey? Toomey. Toomey. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, I still can't find Warren Moon in this. I, I've, re- I've gone back now and watched it twice, and I still can't find him. There's a brief one on the side. I forget what team it was. but Yeah, I didn't get a great Send look at him. Send me a screen grab. Yeah, yeah, we'll grab it. Barry Switzer, he's pretty prominent. You can see him, and he was mm-hmm. a broadcaster in the movie. So here's what I had, and I we kind of briefly talked about this. Was Drew Rosenhaus not also a broadcaster in this one? I think he might have been. Like I'd he, have to look that one up, but I feel like he was in right after the first game. They go to a broadcaster, kind of doing one of those like post game analysis shows, and he's he's the guy. I think, I think it makes when, sense. Like, Pacino's in that bar having the mm-hmm. drink on his own. He looks up at the TV. He's like, oh, you can't be talking about that old guy or whatever. Yeah. I, one of I his biggest clients, too. One of his biggest clients, Terrell Owens, was in the movie. So it kind of makes sense. And Those Terrell Owens got a big role, like, kind of at the end of it. He yeah. really did. Missed his quarterback. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> so there were NFL cameos by Irving Fryer, Ricky Waters, Mazio Royster, Jamie Williams, and Terrell Owens. Jamie Williams was also, uh, well, he was former 49ers tight end, right? He was uh, also one of the consultants on the movie. So he, Ricky Waters and T.O. too, yeah. 49ers guys. Ricky Waters was awesome. I'll give you that one. I like that guy. He's another guy's rookie card. I had who thought I thought he was going to have a much bigger career. He's, he was. He's still good. He good Notre Dame he running back okay. too. Yeah, he did all right. A um, couple of funny bits from the article: Any given Sunday in oral history, uh, Jamie Fox on getting the role of Willie Beeman. If I don't get that part, I'm stuck doing booty call for. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jamie Fox is a hell of an entertainer he's funny yes he yeah, is Enterta- like the guy can sing he can act he can dance he can do everything he's funny i used to hell. love the jamie fox show yeah. yeah loved it uh lawrence taylor's agent mark lepselter i remember in late october of 1998 i had lawrence doing a corporate appearance for lucent technologies in new jersey two or three days later my friend says lt was arrested le- late last night on a cocaine bust he ultimately ended up on a federally mandated drug rehab center. Literally three days after he's arrested in my office, I get a call out of the blue from Richard Weiner. He says Oliver would like Lawrence Taylor to come to audition. He doesn't care that he was arrested three days earlier. So that's kind of, and I think uh, we'll talk about it in a bit. But uh, Lawrence Taylor said that this movie changed his life in a positive way. He moved away from New Jersey uh, and a really dark period in his life and started a new life in Miami. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. I'm glad to hear that that went well. Although, of all places, <clears throat> yeah. Miami. I was thinking yeah, that too. Yeah, like, lifestyle. The cocaine like, haven of the world, basically. <laughs> yeah. So, what are you going to say? Oh, I'm going to move to Bogota next? Like, <laughs> Medellin. So this, yeah. is, this is pretty cool. Originally, Michael Clark Duncan was supposed to play the role of Luther Shark LeVay. However, LT put on the pads and did a few takes, and they shifted LT into that role. He was ori- LT was originally supposed to play an old lineman. It worked out so well for Michael Clark Duncan, he was rejected from the role, because he ended up missing out on the part and auditioned for the Green Mile instead and got that role. So everybody won. Everybody wins. No-brainer, everybody wins. I think once you actually get to remember LT and see the pads on and watch the movement, and he would be literally one take to do everything. Like, let's be honest, when you get LT, you also get free consulting. Yeah, so it gives 100%. your movie legitimacy. And that yeah. was, I think they originally brought him in to be more of a consultant, and then he ended up kind of playing himself into a role. Cool. Uh, cool. LT cool. was very open about the fact that he wasn't uh, good at just being idle and doing nothing. Just coming off his substance issues, he was like, I'll take a beeper. I'll be at the golf course. When you guys need me, just let beat me and I'll come. He'd be playing 36 holes or more a day because if I'm not playing golf, I'm going to be smoking crack. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's pretty amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's I think this amazing. is my favorite thing right here. Uh, so LT, Dennis Quaid, and Jim Brown played golf every day and bet their per diem. Dennis Quaid said, we would be over at the Doral Country Club. Pretty sweet. Sick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, every morning at 6, playing golf. We'd call the production office every 30 minutes to see if Oliver had left yet. We would play 18 holes every day. It was good. You've got the best defensive player ever to play the game and the best offensive player ever to play the game, and it could get pretty heated. LT would come out of there in shorts and flip-flops and hit the ball a mile. So that would be wicked to go. Imagine, like, Dennis Quaid getting to play with those guys. Like, I know Dennis Quaid's a legend in his own right, but, yeah, yeah. wow. You just soak that in. You just sit there, shut up, and listen. Yeah, Yeah. that'd be so much fun. The stories would be amazing to hear. Yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. 
Oh, yeah. So that part, that crazy party scene where Willie's truck gets sawed in half or whatever, that party scene was shot over three nights towards the end of shooting because Oliver Stone kind of wanted to use it as like a celebratory thing. Mm -hmm. So Stone basically rented a house, got the crew to bring the hottest girls they could find in Miami, and just threw an actual real-life party for three days and let the guys go bananas. Most of what was in the movie wasn't scripted, including the wife walking in on the guy. (laughs) Oh, well. That's awesome. <laughs> How cool oh, is that? Wow. How cool would it be for Lawrence Taylor to be able to chop that car in half of the saw? <laughs> that looks kind of fun. That looks yeah. amazing. <laughs> it looks pretty fun. Yeah, that's, uh, that was pretty funny. All right, so let's jump into the realism review. Was the movie realistic and did it do justice to the sport? Okay, I had, uh, I, I'm going to start on some of the things that I had for real. Um, you can really see the difference between, you know, varsity blues, for example, like that high school college atmosphere compared to a pro atmosphere, night and day, not even close. We're going to play in the pro atmosphere, then we're going to jump in our wicked cars, I'm getting in a Ferrari, you're going to get in a G-Wagon, and we're going back to our big condos or mansions. I thought that was kind of cool to see. Um, I had LT, I made a lot of notes on him, uh, that I feel like on the field he brought that legitimacy, but like the training room, behind the scenes, the party things, the way he acted, the way he moved, he'd done this. He'd he's done this he was the new york giants like yeah you know he was the new york giants for two of their super bowl wins essentially jim brown brings that to brings that the amount of real people they had in there uh cte i had a lot of things about cte basically pre-early bell rung uh the needles the fighting the relationships with teammates the pros the touches the big contracts you know there's only so much money to go around so if you get 20 percent of it well, I, my percentage is going to go down, and I'm going to be angry about that. I mean, I think that all happens. The, the sponsorship deals, the all-sports drinks, the RX bars or RX drink or whatever it is. Metrics, yeah. Yeah, metrics, sorry. Thank you. Uh, the IVs at halftime. That yeah. happens all the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the idea of such a big team and not everybody really knowing each other even that well in football, that happens a lot, too. It's too big a team. It's right? just too yeah. big. You know, and, the, and the offense and the defense being their own entities. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For fake, I mean, I'll save some of that stuff, but for fake, I had right away calling your play on, on plays in the huddle. That's a really quick way to end your career. Oh, God, yeah. So I had that as, as a, a point as well. I also said, you know, like we talked a little bit about the unrealistic stuff to me was like the suit. Uh, mm-hmm. the bus campaign, the sponsorship. But I also said, I also had a hard time believing that a whole team, including the coach, is going to give up on Willie Beeman after two games when he's their only option, right? Like, mm-hmm. as much of an ass as he was, as much as a, uh, as a prick as he was at throwing guys under the bus and everything else, that's all they got. They're pros. They're pros. They're still playing for a paycheck. Like, yeah. they're not just going to give up on this guy even as much as they hate him. Like, they're pros. So, mm-hmm. that was the other. I mean, like, all the drills looked legit. The gambling on the plane, uh, the cattiness of the players' wives, like, things like that. That, like, that all seemed legit pro football. The only other thing that I thought was kind of out there that I don't know how much of it would exist in pro football was um, having the priest in the locker room. I feel like that's more of a college thing college yeah. high school thing i don't know if that exists as much in the pro football game mm-hmm. i may be wrong obviously um but uh, like i feel like that's more of a, a younger younger game something else i saw too the orange bowl playing in the orange bowl yeah, yeah. great stadium yeah yeah it's iconic i liked uh the fact that like, willie's backstory of how you know he was a good like a top quarterback in in college and then there was some type of violation right yeah like he took yeah. a jacket or he yeah. took some money or whatever suit suit that's right and uh then uh, and then the fact that especially during that era 
bringing in a, a little bit of an undersized black quarterback and they make him either a wide receiver or corner. And this fact, he makes mention that he was made into a corner. So I yeah. thought that, that kind of made sense. Oh, totally does. You know what was one thing I noticed on Beam and Jamer? That. That, and I don't know if you guys noticed this or not, Willie changed his mask in different oh, games. Oh, did he? He had different face masks on. Oh, I didn't and notice I kind of noticed that. Like, game one, game two, different masks. And I noticed, too, for like the non-realism part, was I think the game against the Rhinos, correct me if I'm wrong, the score was like 7-3 Rhinos, and then the Sharks scored to go 10-3. But it was 10-3 right away with no extra point. Just mm-hmm. little stuff like that. Where right. you're like, I don't know if they're just saving time because it's already super long. I also had the the culture of, especially during that time of like the homophobia, the misogyny, all that stuff was really kind of played played up well. Oh, yeah. Um, the egos. Like these guys have egos. I mean, they're all pros. Like they're all oh, the trying to get paid, huge. like you said, right? Egos are huge. For sure. Absolutely. Uh, the shark situation, like um, Luther Shark LeVay's situation with, you know, his head injury and stuff and the way they handled that, especially during that time. And I, I liked how they didn't outright like just tell him you have to play. They always frame it in a way that, you know, oh, you got that bonus, right? You remember your bonus. They, they they kind of guide the guy into that decision, so they're not they can cover their ass. It's all about covering their ass. And, and these guys it. are going to want to play anyways because that's hundred percent. That's that's the nature of what they want to do. They want to compete. If you so. lay down a million dollars to someone in nineteen ninety nine, a million dollars, big big time. And you lay down a million extra dollars to somebody right near the end of their career, you're going to push for that million dollars, yeah. hands down. Not Absolutely. even questionable. Some unrealistic stuff I had. Uh, so in Willie's first game, you know, he can't pick up the signal from the sidelines because he yeah. doesn't know the play very well. And he's screaming, same play, same play. Like, you're not going to be screaming same play so everybody in the no, whole stadium not. can hear you. And the coach on the other team picked up on that because he goes, same play, same yeah, play. Yeah, he's like yelling it too. Like that, at that point, they're calling a timeout and they're just like, you know, this is, we got to get this on, on the same page. Uh, Andrew Bernierski's alligator to me was unrealistic. Like, where the hell does he get an alligator? <laughs> well, I mean, they're in Florida. So is Florida. Like, what did he go out in the pond and behind the stadium and his, his, his towel? Golf course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He got uh, Goliath the alligator on like hole where, seven. Where did he keep that in the locker room? <laughs> right in, <laughs> yeah. Just in his locker. Yeah. Just hanging out there. Uh, Willie dropping six rounds in the draft because of a booster violation. I thought that was kind of... Usually it's like a, a charge or something. Like, you know, like char- it would be a character flaw in the sense that you know he beat somebody, he beat up his girlfriend or something like that. But I feel like maybe a booster violation. You might go to round three. Well, I was going to say there'd be Maybe. a large part, too, about the know. combine and the interviews and things like that. So, like, you know, he would have a way to kind of maybe explain those things and obviously show some kind of performance on the field. Like, at yeah. the t- if we're talking about, like, a dual threat quarterback, which he is, mm-hmm. I mean, he's going to perform pretty well. Because essentially he's going to be legit. Yeah. He went, yeah. He was, they mentioned he's a seventh rounder and he dropped six rounds. So he would have been a first rounder, basically. Yeah. Or yeah. second rounder or whatever. First so that's a seventh. big. I mean, he's... <laughs> He, crush, he crushes L, or LL in the uh, 40 dash there. So Yeah, so he's yeah. got some legit. I think there's more at play. Like they, At that time, he's obviously very small. Yeah, um, and that could speak to your places and point earlier. And again, you know, him being upset by that whole thing. Yes, I think so. I think he's got an extra grind with that for sure. A couple other things too. Like Willie seemed like too much of an, own, an unknown to be a former first round pick because they kind of are like who who is willie beeman like you know what i mean like if he was a if he was a touted uh first round pick projection and then he has this violation and drops people would have known who he was you like, tore he, up university of houston people know who you are 
Yeah, I, I thought they kind of made it look like nobody knows who this, you know, backup or third string quarterbacks are. Mm-hmm. Like, because like I feel like when a team has one of those guys that's either a backup or a third string, you're thinking it's like a T or maybe like Troy Smith or a guy like that. Like, I, yeah, I feel like I don't know. I feel like the fan base usually too screams for those guys because they remember them being dominant in college and they want to see if they can do it in the pros. So. It's true. To me, Dennis Quaid just didn't look athletic enough. I loved him as an actor and playing the old thing, but when he was on the field, I feel like they should have just got a double for him. That's one thing I read in this movie is they they wanted everybody to do their own stunts. So you're telling me he gets crushed at the goal line when he? No, that one isn't him. But I was all gonna say, but all the other ones are like the herky jerky ones where he's out there. He lumbers. Around. He's uh, he just. <laughs> See, but I think that's good because it gives authenticity to the point that he's an old decrepit guy, like basically hanging on. Maybe, but I mean, th- we all remember those guys in the NFL, but they could play. Like, he just looked like he couldn't, like, he was like running where he doesn't even bend his knees and he's like, yeah, okay. he looks like yeah, he's okay. throwing. That, I just mean, like, he just looked really unrealistic as a pro. But just the, there's just like the football scenes where he was playing in. Mm-hmm. Everything else, yeah, I think he nailed in it. The eye coming out to me was too much. Like, that's 100%. So, yeah. I have that stupid. as stupid. I have that as part of my commentary yeah and then they they probably chewed up about i don't know two and a half minutes with that it was just ridiculous and to me the uniforms were arena football quality and they were like that dallas uniform was awful oh yeah like that's not a that's not pro football that's not nfl football those aren't made for tv uniforms high school uniforms but they don't even pop on tv like some of those uniforms you're right it's a good point even the sharks uniforms like when the ravens wear the all black on tv you're like "Mm." but you gotta have a little bit of you can't have a couple stripes or something you know it was like all black with no stripes yeah you you can't put a little bit of color in there i will say this the one realism piece too that i thought they did really well they made the fan base for the sharks very raider like Oh yeah, yeah. yeah like I, I, well, that stood out to me. I was like, "Oh, Jr. is going to like that because they yeah. seemed very point. black hole raider esque." That's right. And another thing, just my this is my last point. Uh, the ending was really hokey for me. Tony announces he's the new head coach and the GM of the expansion Albuquerque Aztecs after he's kind of been this defeated guy most of the movie, and you're just kind of like, "He's done." You know what I mean? Like all movie, you're like, "This is his last shot at." That a Pantheon cup or whatever, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's got this rejuvenated and he's going to be the G- head coach and GM. And then he and everybody's shocked and surprised. Like that would have been news. And not only that, he and then he announces that he just signed Willie Beeman. And Christina and Crozier are both completely like blown away and shocked. Like how does that? How does he like? They've mm-hmm. signed this guy and you have no idea that this happened. And not only that, like Crozier and Christina are the, were the ones that fought for Willie all along to get him starting, to get him playing, to get him more reps. Yeah. And Tony was the guy that was like, Cap's our guy. And then he has one speech at the end of the movie and all of a sudden Willie and him are best friends and they're going to run off into the sunset together. And he may also have a dead arm. Yeah. Willie's talking about how he's got arm stiffness and arm soreness oh, and his the throwing end. arm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, that's a terrible signing. Yeah. It shows you how out of touch you are. Uh, yeah, uh, I had just... a fake thing. Was Willie throwing reps after a game? Yeah. Thing yeah. Was... <laughs> oh, yeah. And, like, come on, man. And what was Willie doing with his jersey back on? I think you're done. He took his pads off and then he took put his jersey back on? Yeah, yeah he walked yeah, back yeah. out. Like, you're you're done. You'd walk out with like your Under Armour shirt or something. You're going on the so. charter and you're going home. Yeah. So, well, anyway, that's what I had. You guys have any other points on realism? T.O. wearing 82 instead of 81. Oh, yeah. LT wore 58 instead of 56. Well done. Yeah, Yeah, a couple of those things. Interesting. Let's jump into soundtrack. Let's talk about soundtrack. 
Um, I'll fire first, and I'm gonna pass it over to Webb. Just it was fine with me. I'm. I thought it was okay. There's some good sports movies, sports tunes on there. Uh, I just made. I thought some of the hip hop was okay. I think I heard some DMX. It was such a long movie. I'm not gonna lie that after a while, the music. I just there was only so much I could focus on. I only had so much yeah. brain power. So Webb, I'm gonna pass over to you on this one. So I got I got lots to say on this one. So. I'm not a huge fan of the soundtrack and the scoring in general. There's just, like you said, Jared, way too much. Uh, number yeah. one, the movie runs way too long. Yeah. So the amount in there. I'm a big fan. So we talked about Varsity Blues and picking the right songs mm-hmm. for the moment. This just seemed to me like so many missed opportunities. So here's what I have. Good things they did well. They played some classic stadium songs in the football scene. So they played uh, Fat Boy Slim right here, right now, right? Too to Unlimited? Get, yeah, to get everybody fired up. They had good song choices to represent, like, the metalheads, like the white, you know, I'll call them the... Uh, Go ahead, Web. Well, I don't know. <laughs> tiki Torch, motherfuckers. Uh, you know, Paranoid by Sabbath and Motor Breath by Metallica. So, you know, those, they're, they're up there. There were some Miami sounds, right? You had some Trick Daddy. So it would make sense that Willie would listen to some of that. He's from the South. He would listen to, to some uh, rapper from Miami. But here's the thing. Your whole movie is based out of Miami. How are you not going to have two live crew on your soundtrack? Especially in the final party scene. LL Cool J, I'm sure you had some kind of hand in this soundtrack. You've been around since the inception of hip-hop. You are one of the founding guys. Miami hip-hop sound comes from two live crew. You're telling me you can't get a me so horny going on in that <laughs> final party scene? That's a good point. Give me a break. No Gloria just, Esteban either? No, like, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ribbon's going to get you, baby. Yeah. Miami sound machine. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't like that. I also didn't like, uh, and this was going back to a couple other things. So, we talked about the timing of certain songs before. So, you mentioned the DMX track earlier, JR. I didn't like that where they played it. So they played it right after Willie Beeman goes, yes, boss. And again, it speaks to the whole racial undertone thing to me. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was really uh, tasteless. I I didn't like it. I, I mean, that's not even a big track on that record for DMX. So like, it's like an interlude track. Like they played in between songs. I just thought it was kind of terrible timing. Uh, And then I also, the biggest thing I had that was cheesy to me are, the original soundtrack songs like any to me anytime there's a movie soundtrack where they use the title of the movie in the song i just find it (laughs) so cheesy um and they're so like there was like any given sunday and like a couple other ones kid rock was on this soundtrack like the thing that i struggle with there are groups on there so like um they had like the dungeon family on there with outcasts like there was some legit acts on this soundtrack and i just feel like there was so many missed opportunities well done, Web. Yeah. Well if done. I'm scoring it, it's getting a 5.1 out of 10, and only because well there's some, you know, great acts on there. It's a good point about LL. I never really thought of that. I'm like, yeah, and even his song was so cheesy. Yeah. Yeah. So let's jump into our movie wrap up. Where does this movie rank among all time football movies, and where does it rank among all time sports movies? Uh, I'll go first. Um, football movies, probably in my top seven. Of all-time football movies, and then all-time movies, probably. I'm going to go maybe 1920. It, it maybe, yeah, it might make the 20. 
maybe 21, just around 20 or outside 20, to be honest. It's mm-hmm. just, I love all the actors in it. I love lots of aspects of it. It entertains me. It's too long. Yes. And there's too many people in it that just make it, it's too hard to focus on. Yeah. And like I said, like the, mu- the music, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I, I was at a brain matter at that point. Which yeah. is, I know, is easy to do. Oh. No, but I agree. I, uh, I just ran out. I was like, I'm out of gas. I can only focus on so much stuff. Um, I have it in and around there. Overall, yeah. I'll watch it. I hadn't watched it in a few years, but I would watch it at any point. I like some parts about it. What? I would not watch this movie again. I hate this movie. Uh, it doesn't even make my top 10 football movies. I think it's the only saving grace, in all seriousness, is the fact that it tackles pro football. But I don't like anything about it i find it pretentious i find it there were so many points even from the hop where oliver stone was trying to be too artsy for me like it just i everything would be like slow-mo and then they'd cut to like a weird song and like everything about it was just too much for me i think i got cte from watching yeah 100 percent. yeah like it just it was too much the whole eye scene like you said i was like did I just drop acid and watch this movie? Like, it just feel like I was so, it was so over the top. Um, it runs way too long. It has way too many characters, like you said. Uh, I think everything is just so cliched. There's way too many themes. Like, it doesn't address one, there's no, it doesn't feel to me like there's one rising arc and, and falling action. Like, it just, it's too much. Like, I just, I can't stand it. I would put at least 10 football movies ahead of it. Yeah. At least 10. Yeah, I've probably got it right around 10. For football movies as well. Same thing. I mean, you guys hit on every theme. It's way too long. Uh, the, I hate how they like do these scenes where they slow it down and they've got like, you know, Cap's eyes or uh, Willie Beeman's eyes. And then they've got old football guys with leather helmets on in the, in the sky, in the back. And there's like mm-hmm. lightning. Go- like, you the, know what I mean? The purity of the game there's, theme. Like, there's it's just so weird, over the top. Yeah. Weird, weird, like, overlays. Like, they were experimenting with a lot of, like, overlays on the scenes. And then there was, like, the when they had, like, the vibrating scenes. Like, when they're on the field. When you're playing sports, you're not running around, like, your vision vibrating everywhere. If you do, you've got a concussion. You shouldn't be in the game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, maybe, maybe that's what they're trying to go for. But, like, that whole thing. Like, I was getting sick watching it, those scenes. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, there's just too much of that. The interludes. And the music goes all over the place during this. Because they'll have like a rap song and then they'll go into like this classical interlude. And I'm like, what's going on right now? Like it's three hours of my life I'll never get back. Too long. They should have cut it down. Too many characters. You know, that's that's what pushes it back. It sucks because there's some really good acting in it. 100%. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not taking anything away from the actors. Because I think they did. This one, this is all on Oliver Stone and his horrible directing. They should have had Clint. Or get my boy Ron Shelton on there. He'll whip him in shape. Oh yeah, he'd cut a few characters shape. down, get a love, you know, a little love, a love story going yeah. for JR. Yeah, there's no, there's no love, love story in there either. Like Willie treats his girl like garbage, and then nothing happens there either. Like they have that scene in the bathroom where he's the Barbara Bush jokes on, but she's on a date. I don't know if that date might be going well. That guy looked like a fairly good guy. I don't know. Anyway, I mean, I'm getting off page here. All time sports. I don't even. It's not my top twenty. No, I didn't even comment on that. It's not making no. my top twenty at all. Good acting. Great realism as far as like, you know, they got the right characters, you know, stuff like that. Just terrible at directing. It's hard not to be realistic when you got the best offensive player in the game and the best defensive yeah. player ever to play in your movie. Mm-hmm. Like the casting director gets yeah. an A plus. Yes. For sure. And the and the consultants and everything like that. Oliver Stone's ego gets a D minus. That's that's what I got. Yep. That's fair. 
Thanks, everybody, for listening and engaging with us on social. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. And please continue to engage with us on Twitter, at Big League Flicks, and on Instagram, at Big League Flicks Pod. Hey, what do we got going up next week, boys? We want to give a little teaser here? Well, JR's stretching to get into the crane kick already, so. Strike yeah. fast, strike hard, no mercy, guys. Sweep the leg. See everybody next week. Thanks for listening. Take care, folks. Sports and the glitz and the glamour Got a cold beer pairing for the leading lady staring Fun facts and trivia and man rocket comparing Soundtracks and music, they'll rate all these things Was it real or did they lose us as the fat lady sings? Talking junk, have a giggle, comedy, drama, romance Did the film deliver six to noon in my pants With their big bag of tricks, these podcast critics Jordan Christian and Jammer with Big League Flicks Jordan Christian and Jammer with Big League Flicks